having these un- unique experiences or talents. Everyone has a unique set of experiences. Like I, I have not had the experiences that you've had or other people have had. And I think there's a lot to be said for stacking the deck in your favor using those experiences. And and that's so exciting because only only you can do that and only you can figure that out. And I think it's I think it's a journey, journey worth taking. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Wealth of time wealth of impact, wealth of family and relationships, as well as financial wealth. True wealth is what I'm really all about. And this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz and born to a single mother as a poor boy in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work to be in a European Ivy League business graduate and an expert on seven different psychological therapies with a great corporate job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people from members of the Forbes Technology Council Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn executives to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even the Vatican Church, congressional candidates and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world. All are welcome here. And thank you all so much for the support. After all this hard work of publishing a new interview every day, this podcast now is ranking very nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category. Top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many other places. So please... Share this podcast with one new person today, because when they listen to this podcast, they'll be in very good hands. And if you are interested in my mentoring services on marketing or on how to use podcasting as a powerful tool to research and find your perfect product market fit, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com or on Twitter at NoCodeWealth. Let's begin. My guest today is Thomas Drock from UNLV to Techstars, from being the founder at Substract.design to Cleverstack.com and the product design lead at Mixpanel. Thomas is a product design historian, an epistemology student, a subscription fanboy, He brews his own beer and loves creation in all its forms, from a nice meal to a musical piece to painting and building things with metal and wood. He has built a prototype for fanfolk.com, which has become very valuable to people and surprised him in many ways. Thomas, how are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for that introduction. Let's play. Let's have fun about you as a person. So I'll begin with my favorite new question, and is this. Thomas, these days, these weeks, in this period, what seems to be the thought that keeps on returning to your mind, that you keep on thinking about, it's insisting, that you care for it, explore it, understand it, improve it, or anything? Wow. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, There's a lot of things on my mind 
right now. I, I, I think for myself, one of the things I think about a lot is how I can improve the lives of people around me, whether that's uh, myself a lot of times, whether that's my family, whether that's my coworkers or people I meet on the internet. And so that thought really drives me just how I can use my own unique uh, experiences or talents to, to contribute to other people's lives. Thank you. How to use your own unique experiences to make the lives of others better, correct? Yes. And why is that important for you to make other people's lives better? I, I do think, I mean, just going back to the, the first point there, I think we are very much individuals. I, I think everyone is so different. And it's hard even um, when describing yourself, wh- whether it's like a Twitter bio or, or LinkedIn profile or whatever it is, like trying to piece together like, okay, what, like, what's different about me or, or, or what defines me and like, how do I define my identity? So, so I think about that a lot, but to answer your question, it's, it's important to me because I think there's, I think humans are a collaborative species. I, I think we do bigger and better things when we work together. And I think focusing on that and thinking about that and improving that where I can is a really high leverage thing to do and spend my time on. A high leverage thing to do. And it reminds me, once I had a discussion with David Deutsch, who is a Hall of Famer, direct marketing copywriter, and he said, even for himself, it's difficult for himself to define his own strengths or what he's good at, or even to explain himself, or like Shane Parrish speaks about and calls this the meta bias, that when we are in our lives, we cannot see the outside because we're in it. We cannot look from another perspective, at something mm. we're immersed in, like the fish, unable to realize that it's the water, or this is funny and it's unrelated, but this is a cool story. There is the movie from Pixar called Soul, and the musician, when he had his big break for the first time and played with a famous um, singer, and he was playing the piano there in the zone, afterwards, he was disappointed and told her, I don't feel any different. So she told him a story. She said, there was a fish who came to an older fish and told him, I want to go to the ocean. So the older fish said, look all around you. He said, well, I want the ocean. This is just water. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a fun thing to think about that we want to, to go and think that the grass is greener or we don't understand our value, but we are in the water so much that we think we're separate from the ocean, but maybe we're not. And to now go back to you, specifically as a person, you said is the highest leverage way to operate. I want to make sure because a lot of sociology experts will say that people from the U.S. have individualism ingrained into them And therefore, even when they cooperate, it's more of a pragmatic way compared to if you went to Asia, people will take cooperation as the de facto way to operate because they view the community as the strength and the way where their identity is the community in a way. So is it for you that you are... uh, a, a we person, as they say, lost in a land of I, <laughs> or is it really more about leverage and multiplying your individual capacity through cooperation? I hope that was clear. If it's not, I will ask it in a simpler way, but just wondering whether your identity is more community oriented, or is this more as one person realizing that you can multiply your own individual potential through community. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that story. And, uh, I love the question. Um, I have a quick anecdote maybe that, that could start to answer that. And maybe you could tell me if, if it did so, but when I first moved to San Francisco, I was a like design consultant. I was, I was finding clients one by one and I would work with them 
on my own and um, it was fine, but there was something kind of left, uh, felt a little empty to me. And uh, my roommate worked at SpaceX and he, he came to me and said, hey, we've got this great project. Um, would love for you to do the design work on it. And I thought, amazing. I, and this, this, is, this is like a dream gig right here. So long story short, uh, he wasn't working for SpaceX. He was working for the Silk Road. And it turned into this, the FBI raided our apartment. And it turned into this really messy experience that I, that I didn't want to relive. And it was literally at that time when I thought to myself, I, I don't want to be a lone wolf. I don't want to find clients one by one and kind of do this thing on my own. Uh, I want to be leveraged in the sense that I'm creating a product or a piece of content or something that someone else could use over and over again. And I think the the internet has, has amplified that in, in a really big way. Thank you. And it's funny because just yesterday I watched the Silk Road movie. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. Just re- yesterday I completed it and I watched it and I thought, wow, it's a movie. Although, I don't know, they tried to make all the characters as good people doing bad things rather mm-hmm. than giving them more of a dimension like that. Uh, so to you, if I understood correctly, you tried the lone wolf life you found it to be unhappy or not so good, which is trying to find clients one by one and trade in your time and effort for money, as well as not having the potential to choose which people to surround yourself with. Well, you can have a, more of a legacy by using the power of the internet to be in many places at the same time, where you can even be sleeping while your products are helping someone transforming their lives and that to you seem to be the better way the more freedom oriented and high leverage and high impact and high legacy way is this correct totally yeah and you used another word there that i think is really important which is freedom uh, maybe maybe it gets misused or it definitely does but i think everyone to some extent really appreciates freedom whether that's uh, freedom with their time or intellectual freedom or f- right now freedom to kind of live and in, in work where they want. So I, I think that's really important as well. Thank you. And please define it more because you said it's a word that is misused to you. If you were to say three things, three facets that come together to create the experience of freedom, what would it be? And how does freedom really relate to making the lives of other people better. Because if we look at it, at the first look, it might seem to be contradictory. But if we go deeper after your definition, maybe there is more to that where you can both experience freedom and enjoy high impact in a way that is not so, that is selfless, but both taking care of yourself as they do in the airplanes when the masks fall. They say, put your own mask first so that you're strong enough to help others rather than sacrificing yourself, ending up weak, and everyone suffers in return. Can you comment and share freedom? And how does freedom relate to making the lives of others better? Definitely. I do I do believe that everyone has their own definition or, or should or think about what their own definition is of freedom is if if that's important to them but for me uh professionally being able to work from where i want is really important to me it always has been and i guess post pandemic there's a lot of companies and and people in general just kind of turning around on that maybe it's not so important that everyone is in the exact same place at the exact same time, and we can still be productive from other places. So location and, and being able to have the freedom to choose where I want to live is, is really important to me. I'm in San Diego right now, and it's beautiful. And I, I wouldn't want to exchange that for, for being stuck in an office somewhere. So, so that's a big piece for me. I think creative freedom is important. And, and that's a little bit vague, too. So let me define that. Creative freedom for me is give 
being given a problem or being given an opportunity and having the freedom to kind of solve or go about that how I want to. I, I really, I consider myself a, a generalist and, and kind of mediocre at a bunch of different things. And so being given too many guardrails for maybe what something is supposed to be, whether that's something at work or somewhere else, that for me it is kind of prevents some of that free thinking that that I enjoy. And then I guess the other thing, which which may be a, a bit more of an obvious one, is just freedom to choose what to do with your time. And that, I think, is just important in, I mean, especially in this last year, not to focus too much on, on COVID and the pandemic, but it's really hard to take care of yourself when it's uh, illegal to go outside and, and you're stuck inside and forced to work. And and I think it's really important to have that freedom to be able to decide, uh, okay, now I'm going to read, now I'm going to go for a walk, now I'm going to have this kind of deep work moment on this really difficult problem and being able to choose when that is and not just saying, okay, from nine to five, I need to be doing this. I, I, I don't think it's as productive. And I think it creates kind of these happier, more more grateful humans when they have that freedom. Thank you. And I can relate so much more to that than you might expect. One of them is that I do my best work at night. I'm not really a morning person. I get my best mm. ideas between 10 p.m. and midnight with a new jolt of second wind or energy when that happens. And therefore, I believe in the circadian rhythm a lot that each mm. day based on what you've eaten before, you, how much you've slept, etc. Maybe that one day at 1 p.m. is the perfect time for you to go take a walk and get new energy and new ideas. Maybe the next day at 1 p.m. is the perfect time to write something. Or maybe it's the, the next week, 1 p.m. will be the perfect day time to design. But if you force that schedule, maybe there will be a mismatch that when your body and mind is ready to design, you have scheduled during that time client meetings or something like that, which will mm -hmm. mess up your rhythm and end up you end up with a less optimal productivity and way of being. But I agree with you also about the location independence, the not being told how to solve a problem because that's the opposite of creativity. If you are told how to do it, you're being just uh, as an order taker rather than a mm -hmm. person who's bringing something new to the world. And I believe that we are at a moment where there is a change and moving from the old paradigm of work where employees are told what to do into a world where people need complete freedom in order to bring something new to the world. But we're in the middle where there is a mix of the old beliefs and thoughts within you. And we need to free ourselves from a lot of that. Like, for example, they found that deadlines are amazing. If you have a robotic process that you know what to do, you already know the 10 things that you need to do exactly what you'll do in them. And therefore, deadlines will increase your productivity, but for a creative person creating something out of nothing, if you add deadlines, that stress will shut down the part of their brains responsible for creativity, and they end up with more mediocre, mediocre results than without. So freedom is not just a good feeling. Often it's necessary for productivity. Can you share, though, some stories about not having that freedom and the frustration, because I can share too, and we all had, some of the creative people will hate really having a job. And that's why we move uh, towards entrepreneurship to create our own freedom while we serve the world, rather than being scheduled, told what to do, which could be great for other people who their personality matches it. But many of the founders will resonate with your thoughts. Do you have experiences and anecdotes and stories about not having that freedom when that realization came to you? And tell more about how productive or different your life is 
when you can create freedom. Definitely. Yeah. You, you touched on something I'd love to talk about really quickly there because, because I have thought a lot about, uh, deadlines you said um specifically setting deadlines or anything for myself i've 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 worked with that a little bit and one of the things i've found is if i set a deadline for myself it often just creates more kind of stress and anxiety because i know that there's no i'm the only one accountable for that deadline but what i what I do find really helpful and successful is if that deadline is someone else is holding me accountable for that. And, and that, and that can be as simple as uh, scheduling a tweet or scheduling an email. Like it's out, it's out of my hands. Whatever happens on that date at that time is, is happening. I I mean, this, this, this podcast for you maybe is another example. There's, there's going to be an interview on this day on this time. So, so that's, I, I guess, something like more tactical that I just wanted to touch on. But yeah, sto- stories about maybe not having the freedom to accomplish something or being told to do something in a specific way. I mean, I, re- I remember as old as, as being in elementary school or, or maybe more towards middle school where, uh, you know, you'd have assignments in class and you had to fill in the blanks or do the math problems or whatever. And that was fine. I, I was never a big fan of that or, or school in general. But what I did really like was when the teacher would assign a project, like, oh, your your goal is to do X, Y, Z, and, and, and it's due in a month or three months or by the end of the semester. That to me was the most exciting thing because I had, again, that freedom to kind of explore and to find my own kind of solution or my own kind of project and that I really enjoyed. But professionally, I, th- I think it's tough because, you know, I, s- I spent a couple years having a little uh, design agency. And as someone who employs people, it's, r- it's really tricky because, you know, you-, you might interview someone and you're interviewing them to do a specific job. And so once something comes up, then you kind of expect them to be able to do that job. And it's a really fine line of how do I define the kind of end goal versus the process versus the actual solution for how to get there. And I, I've experienced in a lot of roles um, that kind of those guardrails just being too tight. In design, for me, it's, it's really difficult because, like I said earlier, I consider myself a bit of a, a, bit of a generalist. Um, I do write code. I do do these kind of more product managey data analysis type things, especially at mixed panels. So it's hard when put into the box of, uh, okay, you're just going to design now. Um, it's, it's almost hard for me to to break to break through that or break out of that. If that makes sense. Thank you. And I just had this thought on my mind when you were speaking now that you wrote in your own description that you're a subscription fanboy. Well, why are subscriptions so cool? When did you come to this conclusion or maybe what happened to create that? And what about them is a better way? Since you have experienced that um, having to find clients, doing the lone wolf thing, or even an agency where you have episodic kind of relationships. Can you speak more about subscription, how you came to that conclusion that it's cool and what's so good about it? Totally. I I love this question. Yeah. So there's a couple magical properties about subscriptions for me, and, and I am by no means an expert on it. There are very, very smart people uh, thinking about it and writing about it as well. But when I was a just lone wolf designer I actually tried to do a subscription service exactly what you were talking about which was instead of selling these kind of one-off services so let's say we have a project or we do it hourly and we're just kind of selling those services whenever there's work what i tried was okay well let's just do like a monthly subscription and and you'll get kind of this amount of time or un- unlimited time per month 
and we're, we'll just work on whatever you want to work on during that period. And that actually worked pretty well for, for especially for product design or these kind of tech products. I mean, so much changes with, within one month. If you have a three or six or 12 month project, uh, I mean, so much can change. It might not only be relevant in that amount of time. So there's some success there. And, and that's what kind of piqued my interest about it. But one of the things that happens if you have a subscription business model is um, something that YC or Techstars will talk a lot about is like month over month or week over week growth. And if you're selling a product, let's say you sell a pair of shoes. Well, if you want 20% month over month growth, you have to sell, not only do you have to sell the, the amount of shoes you sold last month, but you have to sh sell all of those shoes and then you have to sell more. So what happens if you can't even meet kind of the goal that you had from the previous month, then you're kind of out of luck. And with subscriptions or with recurring revenue, every month you're not you're not starting at ground zero, you're starting where you started last month. And so the growth you're able to achieve is, it, or the kind of exponential nature of it is much easier to accomplish because you're not restarting every month. And, and that, just like realizing that was really kind of important for me. And I think a lot of people have done you know, their own versions of this. I mean, you're seeing so many more streaming, streaming services come out and so many more, you know, App, Apple Music starts to compete with Spotify and uh, Disney comes out with their own streaming service. And all these are based on the subscription business model. And I think that's because it works really well in a lot of scenarios. Thank you. I agree with you. And the beautiful part is that revenue and retention are both included in it. And mm. if you do it well, even the attrition isn't that high. So you're always moving forward, like you said, rather than starting again from scratch. It's like the difference between being a hunter. Each time you leave the cave, you have to hunt and find something to kill and eat and if you don't find it well you go home to your family and tribe empty-handed ashamed and everyone will be hungry that day without dinner versus becoming somewhat of a farmer having your own crops and having your own reservoirs and having your own sheep etc mm -hmm. waiting for you to eat and feast on whenever your family is hungry or every day, et cetera. It's, a, it's part, it's changed human, farming changed human evolution. And of course, some people will begin to say, well, it's not paleo diet or GMOs, et cetera, but we're speaking economically, not about nutrition. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful way to think that subscription is becoming a farmer for your revenue rather than a hunter which is not even having a business i mean if your business stops if you stop one month you don't have a business you have a hustle or you have like uh, something you're like the impresario in an event you don't have a real business where it's predictable as much as possible well to ask you then to return to making people's lives better. You mentioned even your family, you mentioned the impact of the internet, but to you, what is your favorite way or impact that you like to make people's lives better? Yeah, great question. Today, I like to write. I've never really considered myself a writer until I started writing. And it's been really impactful for me because it almost gives me an excuse to explore these different ideas or these different obsessions that I might have. And once I go explore those things, I can kind of come back to the tribe and, and share my findings. And one of the things that was surprising for me there was I, I kind of felt like if I were to write something and I were to publish it, whether that's a blog post or a newsletter or on a website somewhere, I kind of felt like it would it would be done at that point. And I've got to move on to the next thing. But I've noticed with the internet, one of the things that happens is it, it becomes almost this like iterative collective project where people will share it, people will kind of argue some of the points, people will contribute to it. Um, and to me, that's that's been really exciting to to learn about and to to do ongoing. I love that. 
And I'm going to ask something a bit different related to writing. There are many people who come with the argument and the perspective and the point of view that in this day and age where people don't have the attention span, writing, especially something longer than a tweet, is not really as impactful and doesn't touch the lives of as many people as if you went to video, for example, or something that will be easier to consume. And people love that because it's more entertaining and people can see you rather than read you, etc. So that is their own argument to you. What is your argument in favor of writing? Why do you believe or see writing as still relevant in the age of video and maybe holograms soon or VR and augmented reality, etc.? And what kind of people did you find them to be attracted to writing or what kind of comments, maybe more thoughtful comments or what is your experience with writing and or do you view it maybe as a stepping stone towards something else? Just share your thoughts about writing, its relevance in this day and age, and whether it has its own place, and if so, what different is it compared to video, etc. Writing is so important. It is one of the ways that we communicate, obviously, but it's it's been around for so much longer than video or podcasting or holograms, like you said. And to me, just that staying power is 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 so powerful. I, I mean, I can write something. I bought like a cheap printer off Amazon. I can print it out. I can bury it in my backyard and it'll be there for a hundred years or so. It's like the staying power of what you can write and what you can do with that, I think is so powerful and, and under leveraged to use one of our, our, our last terms. But that doesn't mean that that video and, and podcasting or holograms or whatever it is isn't important or won't become more and more important. But I think to say that writing is irrelevant or not important anymore, I, I, I don't see a lot of evidence of that. And I, I see the interesting thing, I mean, with these kind of subscription platforms and newsletters and things like that is what it even surprised me I mean people do actually want to consume this long form content and uh it, it's not just a tweet that they want to see if they really care about it they do want to dig into it and they will read these long uh, posts or even or even books and so the staying power of writing for me is just too important to overlook thank you and that is wonderful especially you mentioning that people want more even when you write a tweet about it they can they want to dig their teeth deeper into it and go there. So to ask you then, how do you use tweeting as a way to improve your writing or to test your ideas, etc.? And what is the place of tweeting in your workflow for writing longer form pieces? Yeah, it's it's definitely important. It's It's a really quick way to test ideas, like you said, if you do want to do that. Um, I can just tweet something out as an idea and see if people respond to it or like it or start a conversation. And that's a great kind of way to get started. Another way I use Twitter is just as uh, an experimental kind of website almost. Uh, one of the things I tried with Twitter recently was to unfollow everyone. And it makes this really unique experience where there, there's no feed. I'm not consuming anything. I'm only, I'm only producing. I'm only writing content. I'm only being additive to the conversation and not just lurking and consuming people's content. And I'll stop that. I'll do something else. I'll experiment with something else. I, I had a phase too where I only did images on Twitter. I, I kind of noticed this thing that some some tweets would kind of invoke this emotion or argument or conversation that I, that I wasn't intending. And not to say that we shouldn't be open to feedback and discussion and everything else, but I just thought to myself, what if I, like, what if I just did images here? And like, what would that do? What would that mean? And, and you could think about like Instagram being the place for images or whatever, but I, I just kind of used Twitter as like my experimental 
interface. And and I guess just to touch on the kind of nature of a tweet and the nature of a long form piece, it, it's unclear to me. Let's say I write a tweet and it gets a thousand likes. And let's say I write a long form post and it gets a hundred views or a hundred likes. It's not clear to me which one was more impactful. And so I I try to avoid the trap of looking more for the kind of social validation. I, I try and avoid that and look more for, am I clearly communicating? Am I adding something of value to someone else's life? Or am I learning through discussion? And so that's what I try and use Twitter for. Thank you. That's absolutely beautiful. And it relates to what you said earlier about focusing on making other people's lives better. So rather than focusing on vanity metrics or whatever, you focus on improving who you are, which gives you more potential to help others, as well as thinking, is what I'm doing impacting positively and making the lives of other people better? Is this correct? Beautifully said. Thank you. And usually, this comes for some people from being in periods in their life, and I have even experienced it myself, where you find no help, no person is is trying to make your life better unless they expect something in return, and often first that you should sacrifice whatever you have in order to get some uncertain help. What to ask you then, was there a period in your life where you experienced firsthand either not getting the help and you might have needed or actually getting that help and noticing the difference that someone making your life better does, which motivates you to do that. Or maybe you had a role model, a parent, uh, someone from a book or a movie that inspired you to do that. But what is the origin of your desire to make the lives of other people even better? I love that. Yeah, I've definitely had both. I've had both times where I feel like I didn't have help and feel like I didn't know what to do. It, and you're right, that probably has pushed me in that way. And I've also had incredible mentors who, who have just helped me for, for no reason, seemingly. And, and I have everything to thank. Going back to, I guess, thinking about identity and how we define ourselves, I think those moments where I'm thinking maybe professionally, like, what am I, a designer or an engineer? Am I this like combination of the two? Or how do I define that? How do I put that on the resume? How do I put that in a LinkedIn profile? I That for me was, is difficult. And, and that's just professionally. And I also have those same moments in my own life out, outside of work. But there are people who in a huge way, just g- gave me a shot for no reason. I can, I can think of one example. I, I walked into the Techstars office in Boulder. I'm, I'm from Colorado, so it was, close, it was close enough to home. And I was still in college in this time. I think I had one year left. And I kind of just asked them if they would give me a job. And they said no. But in the corner, there's this guy chewing a toothpick, kind of like a bolder version of like Matthew McConaughey or something. And he just, he just kind of motions me over and starts talking to me. What are you doing? What What's going on? What do you do? And I told him, Oh, well, you know, interested in technology and design and taught myself how to code and did these things. And he gave me a shot just on a whim, just after, after meeting him for a couple minutes. And, and that's always stuck with me. And, and he's not the only one. And if I could be that person to to one other person, you know, trying to make their way up, then then that to me would, would be impactful in my life and uh, I think would be worth it. Thank you. And that brings me actually to something else, that people have this unrealistic expectation of success And often there is this human bias where we think less of ourselves and more of other people. 
And if we see someone successful, we think, wow, they must be 10 times better than us, etc. But in my own study about successful people, I find they had defining moments where someone gave them a helping hand that was unexpected in a time that really elevated them to the next level. And I find that a lot of the successes come because that person isn't, okay, they're good. I'm not saying like they're stupid, but they're not like a billionaire is not a billion times smarter than us or doesn't have Mm -hmm. a billion more hours. But they had moments where they changed them to serendipity that changed the course of their lives for the better. And I believe that if people learned about this and knew more, they will have a higher self-esteem because they will think, well, it means I should expose myself to more possibilities, opportunities of getting those breakthroughs rather than think, oh, I'm not as perfect as that amazing person who had that plan from the beginning, executed it perfectly, which didn't happen. They had a plan, but probably it changed 10 times and new doors opened along the way that took them off course, but into a better path. To you, share more about that as well as your thought on this. How important is it? The Venice merchants from the old times, they used to say that success is 50% your own competency and 50% the good luck from Lady Fortuna. So <laughs> that's uh, from Lady Luck. So they believed it like that, or like the tattoo from John Wick, that uh, uh, fortune favors the brave. It's more about being brave, going for it, and sometimes you'll get knocked in the face, but also some other times unexpectedly, not only will you get what you want, but you'll get even better because someone will give you a break or uh, opens a door for you that you didn't even know about. What is your thought on this whole idea and share more about your life as well? Yeah. One thing I want to add to that as well is if if you're that person kind of looking for the opportunity or, or looking for someone to help out, I, w- I would say there, there's also an opportunity for you to do the same thing. I think for a while I th- I thought that I, to your point, didn't have what it took for whatever reason and didn't leave open the possibility that for, for a long time that I could help more people or just give them one little opportunity or, or whatever it was. So I, so I think that's important on both sides. If you're the person who you, who you think can help other people, that may be true and you should give people those opportunities. But if you're looking for that, I think there's something that everyone can offer and still help out people around them as well. But on on kind of your question, I, I think a lot of it, for me at, le- at least, is thinking about how to take risks and throwing as many darts at the dartboard as you can with, without dying, basically, w- without whether that be financial death or whatever. I, I think you can kind of define your risk tolerance and then just try as many things as you possibly can. And and that's something that I think a lot about and I spend a lot of time on is is how to go about that. How many darts am I throwing? What what's what size of the dart, you know, how much am I investing into this thing, whether it be time or money or resources in, in some other way? And I, I think about that a lot. And I think that's been really important for me because you don't really know until you do it. It's really hard to read something or listen to something and fully understand and be able to replicate what whatever it was that you consumed, at, at least for me. I, I learn more through doing it and trying it and messing it up and trying again and, and learning in that whole process. And so I think a lot about how to go about that and how to improve once I learn. Thank you so much. And I love what you're saying, because I also think about that a lot, that it's about throwing as many darts at the dartboard as possible, knowing that percentage-wise, some of them are destined to hit the mark, because really, we cannot Mm -hmm. know which one will hit the mark beforehand. We can only know um, after the fact, as well as doing it in a way where you don't 
game over yourself and then doing it, which is really, mm-hmm. really, really great. And you spoke about something, which is people thinking, well, if whether they can help people or not, etc. There is something called the imposter syndrome, and many people don't share their song with the world or don't give their gift to others because they think, who am I to do that? Uh, they have the imposter syndrome um, affecting them and limiting them. Is it something you have encountered, experienced, and felt? And whether yes or no, what do you think is the right way for any person to deal with that if they feel it or they're experiencing it and this is limiting their impact and their life? Definitely. Definitely I've ex- experienced imposter syndrome in in a lot of in a lot of ways, a lot of different times in my life. And one of the things that that you asked a second ago that I didn't touch on was was the idea of luck and trying to tie those two together. I, I don't know if there's a reason to ever think that you're an imposter, so long as you're not selling someone a bill of goods and saying you're something that you're not. I think you have to be who you are. And I think that's really important just for your own self-esteem and your own comfortability. But if you are trying things, as long as you tell yourself that I'm trying this and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to see how it works out, there's no, there's nothing really to be an imposter for. And you also expose yourself to all this, to, to lady luck, as you say, like you expose yourself to all this upside that you might not know about if you never tried that thing. And so it's tough. It's it, imposter syndrome is definitely real in the sense that people feel it. I, I feel it. But I don't know if it's something that's valid. I, I don't think you should listen to yourself when you hear yourself say, uh, "You're not good enough for this," or "You're you're not this ain't this isn't this isn't you," or or, or whatever. I don't think you should listen to that voice. I, I think you should, like we said, kind of throw as many darts as possible if it's something interesting and valuable to you, and just let the rest take care of itself. And obviously, that's easier said than done, but I just wouldn't listen to that voice telling you that you're not good enough to do it. I agree with you. And often a lot of parts of success is like a black swan event where it's totally unexpected. And I had once this basketball coach and I had a discussion with him that sometimes a basketball player can play really badly, but each time they throw, they score three points and the team wins. Or other Mm. days when you play perfectly, but it just doesn't want to work. Like you try to score, it's just the last minute. Something will stop the ball from hitting the hoop and going in. And well, which one is better played or what is causing that? If the guy is playing flawlessly, but the score is not reflecting that. While someone is playing poorly, but the score is just going up and up and up. Well... In life, it's a lot like that, where the only thing you can do is focus on taking more risks and doing the process and fall in love with the journey, because often the rewards are unpredictable, or as they say in the Bhagavad Gita from the Hindu religion, where they have a book um, where it says, you have the right to your labor, but you don't have the right to the fruits of your labor. So in many ways, Mm -hmm. that's how I approach it, that I have the right to throw as many darts as I want, but which one, or even if it will hit the bullseye, that is not something that I have control over or anything like that. What I can do is do the best, put stack the deck in my favor, but that's the best I can do. The rest is like a miracle (laughs) that I leave it knowing that, I'm proud of what I did. That should be the measurement of success rather than thinking, well, did it get me the final result? Because there are so many unpredictable things in this chaotic world that can stop the best laid plans from leading to fruit and therefore focus on the best laid plans, throw as many of them as possible uh, on this world. And please comment on this. And is there any other advice that could be useful to a person listening today that we didn't mention 
your heart could feel it should be shared or a lesson you had, please share that. And also end with speaking about whatever projects you're working on. If people want to follow you or communicate with you, where should they go? Yes, thank you. I I will just say that tying it back to kind of our discussion on imposter syndrome and trying to walk walk through that, the harsh version of that is I I would say that the imposters are the people saying that you're the imposter. You know, know, if if you're a designer and and you're thinking about learning how to code, but but there's there's this voice saying, you know, you're never going to be an actual engineer. You don't really have the skills to do that or this is a waste of time or whatever it is or 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 maybe it's other designers on twitter saying hey no designers shouldn't code for whatever reason in my mind that's the other side is kind of the imposter the imposters are the people saying oh no don't do that because i can't do that and it's the, it's the people who aren't acting or the, or the voices that aren't acting and so i think that's that's the irony is is that that to me is 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 so important to have the confidence to go and try things that you think are interesting or or would be valuable. And I, I like that you said uh, to stack the deck because that kind of ties back to what I was thinking about before and having these un- unique experiences or talents. Everyone has a unique set of experiences. Like I, I have not had the experiences that you've had or other people have had. And I think there's a lot to be said for stacking the deck in your favor using those experiences. And and that's so exciting because only only you can do that and only you can figure that out. And I think it's I think it's a journey, journey worth taking. Yeah, and and I guess a bit on some of the projects I'm working on. I'm I'm writing a bit at subtract.fanfolk.com. Uh so if you want to read kind of any of the stuff I'm thinking about, it's mostly centered around product design, what makes good products, and if you're interested in that type of subscription website, uh, fanfolk.com has a bit more information about that. And then if you want to uh, check out Mixpanel, um, Mixpanel is an easy way to do product analysis for your product. Um, and that's where I work and really passionate about analytics and products and, and all of that as well. So check that out if you like. Thank you very much, Thomas. It was an honor, a privilege, and really enriching to the soul to speak with you. And I wish you a great day. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, too, for, for doing this podcast. Uh, I've been so inspired by it. And thanks for putting in the time and effort and, and sharing with anyone. Uh, that, I think it's really important. Mm-hmm.